Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Oi, Harry, see that ludicrous display last night? What was Wenger thinking? Sending Walcott on that early? thing about Arsenal is they always try and walk it in. Andrew, I really want to go back to being geek now. I like being geek. Geek's all I've got. That's where my sweet, sweet style lies. If you got that reference, then you are going to love The Geek Show. Exclusively for the thepalaceofwisdom.co.uk. With me, Andrew. And me, Mike. We are geeks. We talk about geek stuff like Marvel and Batman. Mostly Marvel and Batman. And occasionally Star Wars and... Arrow, Flash, lots of superheroes, lots of sci-fi. If you love that, you'll love us. Again, that is The Geek Show for the thepalaceofwisdom.co.uk. Oh, and every six months we talk about tech. We now return you to your football-related shenanigans. to this week's Man of the Post Extra Time. I am Chris, I am your host, hopefully you can hear me loud and clear, and with me this week, I got back after uh, a few weeks' absence of uh, him hobnobbing with the rich and famous in the footballing world, I've got Mark. Hello. How are we? Yeah, pretty good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Um, This week we're going to be talking about the Champions League, the Premier League, uh, a bit about the 20s Plenty campaign, and Mark's evening out at the FSF Awards. Were you, what were you nominated for? Um, we were nominated for the Fanzine of the Year Award. Okay, uh, so we'll see how we got on with that later on. Um, first things first, uh, all British teams this week were looking decidedly ropey as to how they would finish in their respective groups, weren't they? Um, by the end of it, we had just one casualty. That was Wolfsburg 3, Manchester United 2. Did you see any of this? I, I've seen a couple of the goals today. But I didn't see any of the game itself, and and judging by some of the fallout afterwards, it was quite comical. It was rather funny um, because both times Manchester United took the lead, uh, they conceived within a minute or two afterwards, and they were briefly through at one point when they were drawing two two and PSV were losing. It it felt almost like they could make it, which yeah. made it all the more brilliant that they didn't. Yeah, um, they <laughs> they've had a really strange season, United, haven't they? They've, they've they're still within a couple of points at the top of the league. Um, really defensively sound. There's been times when they look like they're going to break into periods of the old attack in Manchester United, and then they just have fallen back into their shell. And it seems that they've regressed even further the last couple of weeks. Um, Wayne Rooney seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, Fellaini is public enemy number one just because he's a donkey. Um and and Van Gaal doesn't seem to really have much of an answer at the minute. I know they've got plenty of injuries at the same time, but um, you know it's a bit of a, it's it's a strange scenario United find themselves in for for a team that are so high up in the Premier League. Yeah, uh, I mean this is their first season back as well, wasn't it? So mm. 
you know you can't walk straight on through the group stages can you no you you would you would say that for sure but you're dealing with Manchester United here and a, a, a very big name manager a lot of big name acquisitions in the summer and not just big names but you know they must have spent 100 and 100 to 150 million pounds on these players just this last summer gone so you know the board of directors probably assumed last 16 qualification at a minimum from the Champions League they spent all this money, yet at some point during this match, um, Jesse Lingard played, he's been playing quite a lot. Uh, Nick Powell played, um, Varela played, and Cameron Borthwick-Jackson all played in this game as well. Um, mm. He's turning to youth quite a lot, isn't he? Makes you wonder why he spent all that money in the first place. True, they've, they've got some injuries though as well, I think. Otherwise, you know, the, the, some of these lads wouldn't really be that close to the team. But um, it, it also, maybe... It, Maybe there is injuries, but even if there isn't injuries, it sort of smacks of um, they don't have a great 16, perhaps. And yeah. that, I think you need that as a Premier League team. You don't need a great 25 players because you can't keep them all satisfied, but you certainly need more than 12 or 13 to, to compete on three or four different fronts. You don't look at their bench and think, wow, they've got so-and-so there. And you know, If you're looking at the bench and you're seeing people mm. like Nick Powell, then mm. as an opposition team, you're not really all that worried, are you? No, you think back 15 years and, you know, you had, for example, you had Colin York on the pitch and you had Sheringham and Solskjaer on the bench. You know, you had uh, Beckham on the field and you had um, another international ready to step in at any minute if needed, you know, whether that was Scholes or or Butt or somebody like that, you know, a, a well-respected player. And I don't know if they've got that at the moment. Maybe that's part of part of the problem for Manchester United they don't have they seem to be lacking a bit of direction or in my view I think they have not enough players who have a defined role or defined skill set in the team you know a, a, an out and out top quality left winger to play left wing who who not necessarily is a one trip pony but is you know very good at one or two aspects of the game I think they've got a lot of players who are quite good at a lot of things but not exceptional at one particular skill or one particular role, as you would have seen back in the days of Ferguson when they were in their pomp. Um, did you see the Wamata uh, offside decision? No, no, I haven't seen that. Um, well, the ball basically came, I think it was a shock curling into the box by Lingard. Mata stood offside, sort of jumps out of the way, uh, and the ball goes in. So um, Howard Webb and BT Sports said it was a good decision to flag it offside because the goalkeeper was unsighted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louis van Gaal pointed to that and reckoned it was some kind of game changer. But, I mean, you can hardly mm. point back to the fact that you, Wolfsburg finished with 12 points, PSV 10 points, United 8. That's that draw in the last game against PSV that's also cost them as well, isn't it? It is, and, and everybody's everybody held that game up as one of the worst games they've ever seen. Yeah. Um, you know, so th- they finished where they deserve to finish, judging on their performance across the whole group. It wasn't it wasn't solely on one game, even, even that PSV game. Um, you know they've they've just not done enough to qualify. Simple as that. Well, next up for them in the Premier League, it is uh, away at Bournemouth. Of course, had that result against um, Chelsea last weekend, didn't this? This would be the Rio Ferdinand derby, wouldn't it? Uh, it would, yeah. And it's a repeat of one of Bournemouth's most famous games that they won in the FA Cup in 1984 when United were the holders. Bournemouth knocked them out, and Redknapp was the manager. Oh, there we go. Um, well, no Schweinsteiger. He's banned for three games, isn't he? Um, Schneiderlin, Rooney and Herrera are all doubts as well. So, you reckon Bournemouth can get back-to-back wins? I wouldn't rule it out. I'm, they they were 
they were exceptional against Chelsea. Uh, they were for the for the whole ninety minutes. They they came back from that two 0 down against Everton the week before when um, they were outplayed in one half, and then they absolutely stormed back in the second half. And then you know they need they've needed these performances because they've had quite a few um, shellackings over the last three or four weeks before that. Um, they've started to pick up points again, so um, it's by no means a given for Manchester United. Um, I think I, I don't think they would be unhappy with a draw coming away from Bournemouth. Well, they've only won two at their last six, uh, but unbeaten in seven. So you're getting your money's worth by paying to watch them, obviously. Yep, yep, definitely. Um, Group G, and the happy news: Chelsea they won uh, an own goal, and then um, a goal by Willian as well. Um, Jose got his just desserts over Ike Casillas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. just, just, we didn't talk about this last time at the last game. Did you see his is uh, Rick in that Champions League game? Casillas. Yeah. Um, I don't remember it. What did he? What happened? They sort of he went to palm it over the bar, but he sort of palmed it above his head and it bounced into the goal. It was. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. Uh, yeah. Chelsea gone through as Group G winners, thirteen points with um, Kiev, who beat Maccabi Tel Aviv, going through with eleven points, and then Porto, I think, were top at the start of the night. They go into the Europa League on on ten points. It's a bit of a shock because Porto, uh, Porto are kind of like Arsenal. They they get through to the round of sixteen of the Champions League practically every year. They sneak in there, and you, you don't really know how they get there. So it's a bit of a shock that they didn't get through. But um, obviously, Chelsea did it when it mattered for the first time this season. Um, and Dynamo Kiev are going to be dangerous because they're not a bad team, especially at home. I haven't seen them last year in in the uh, Europa League um, when they played Everton a couple of times. Um, they're nobody's mugs. No, well, Chelsea only had thirty eight possession in this game, um, and they had eleven shots compared to Porto's sixteen. So mm. it's uh, Van Harleske from um, Mourinho. Maybe that's the way forward for Chelsea is to not have the ball. They've, str- they've struggled hugely when they've been dominant in possession. Their 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 key ball players just haven't been at it this season. The likes of Fabregas and Hazard, I suppose they would be the ones that are get singled out in particular. They've been way off the pace this year. Well, someone put a list on um, on Twitter the other week of um, Chelsea players of the year so far, and uh, the, the only name on there was William. Yeah. William first, William second, William third. Yeah, it'd have to be. I think um, the glorious revolution. Yeah, he's been head and shoulders above everybody else in that team so far. Yes, um, they will play either one of PSG, Juve, uh, PSV, Roma, Ghent, Benfica, or Roma. Um, other than the first couple, there's not really anything there to strike fear into you, is there? No, and I think that that that's. Um, that's crucial for Chelsea. I mean, who knows what they're going to be like in in February when the when the thing starts back up again? They might be back to back to what we expect them to be by then. Um, in which case, nobody will want to face them, but they they probably want to swerve PSG above all else. Oh, well, you would have thought so. Um, or maybe Juventus as well. That wouldn't be much fun, would it? Yeah, they had a, they had a bit of a rocky start to the season, but they're starting to come good again now. Yeah. Um, well, next up for them, it's the it's the narrative. Derby with Ranieri. Mm-hmm. Are they going to yeah. shake hands? I can't see yeah, Ranieri not shaking hands with anybody. Can you? No, um, you know it's a long time ago now since um, since he got binned off by Abramovich in favour of uh, of Mourinho. But um, yeah, it would be it would be nice a nice little payback quite a few years down the line if uh, Ranieri could keep Leicester's form going and um, turn Chelsea over. And, I don't. I don't see why they can't. If just going off what we've seen so far this season, 
the bookies should be making Leicester clear favourites. It's odd, isn't it? Because every time we we look at a Chelsea fixture, we think, well, they've got to come good eventually. And last week against Bournemouth, you wouldn't have looked at that and thought, I can see Bournemouth winning there, even despite the terrible start that they've had. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, it's been a crazy season this season, and and I think what what you're seeing from teams like Leicester now, or Crystal Palace, um, Bournemouth, and others, Watford, is that they're they're not in awe of their opposition anymore. You know, they're no great respecters of of um, of reputation. They're going out there and they're just playing the game on its merits and just going for what they think they can do. And the league is all the better for it because so many teams. Infer- supposedly inferior teams have spent the last 20 years in fear of um, going to places like Old Trafford or Stamford Bridge or or the Emirates or wherever it might be and the game's been lost before it's even started a lot of the times so none of these teams are uh, um, thinking like that anymore the mentality's changed Could Jamie Vardy and Riyad Mahrez get in any one of these top four teams well include Chelsea in the top four could they get in any of those? Um, right, right now? Yes, yeah. why not? Has has there been a set of better centre forward than Jamie Vardy this season? Potentially not. Has there been a better creative winger come midfielder than Mares this season? I I can't think of one. No, me they... either. And he was. I thought he was exceptional last season as well. Yeah, he's been in my dream team all year. He's got me loads of points. Yeah, yeah. You'd be crazy to drop him now. Yeah, uh, Leicester recovered ten points from losing positions this season. Mm. As well, so they're you know they're no mugs if they go behind. Yeah, yeah. They whatever they did at the end of last season, when it was, I think they um, they went into the last five or six games with a well, let's just go for it now because we're, we're going to go down. This whole mentality of just going for it is just carried on, you know, carry on regardless, even if we go a goal down. Revenge is a dish best served very cold. Yeah. Uh, Group F, Olympiacos New Arsenal 3. I didn't see this coming at all. Uh, a Giroud hat-trick. I was looking forward to all sorts of schadenfreude of fun. Um, well, Arsenal can be fragile, can't they, at yeah. times, um, when when the pressure's put on them. Now, I'm not a, a huge... Uh, I don't have a huge knowledge about Greek football, but I, when I saw the Olympiacos team sheet, I thought, well, I've seen better Olympiacos teams, or I've known certain players from the Olympiacos before and um, I just thought that I thought even though Arsenal have got lots of injury problems they've got they've got enough here to get the result that they need that I didn't expect them to do it quite so convincingly both in terms of the scoreline and the performance but um, I, I thought they I thought they would do it um, but yeah they um, they turned it on when they need to the thing with Arsenal is can can you ever rely on them to produce performances under pressure like that, all the way through a season, they 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 often trip themselves up in the games where they really need to come through. But they did it the other night, and fair play to them. They lost all three previous visits to Olympiacos. Really? Yeah. And yeah. Olivier Giroud hat trick. A is the fourth Arsenal player to score a Champions League hat trick. Any guess who the other three are? Henri. Yep. Um, Ian Wright. No, one's still there. Hmm. In uh, World Cup? Uh, no. Sanchez? No. Begins with a W. A W. A W? A W. A double W. A double W. Oh, you have to put me out of my misery on that one. Danny Welbeck. And then everyone's favourite Danish Arsenal for, uh, former player. 
Um, Not John Jensen. <laughs> yeah, I nearly said John Jensen to make myself look like an idiot. Uh, it must be Bentner. Yeah, who would have thought that? Yeah. Um, well, they're away at Villa um, come the weekend. Now, uh, they drew at Southampton last time, Villa, didn't they? They lost four at their last six. I think are they winless since the opening day of the season. 14 matches without a win. It's the longest in the club's history. Yeah, I think they are. That, that is their only win of the season so far, I think. Um, and Arsenal unbeaten in their last 16 visits to Villa Park. It doesn't. Mm. It, and Giroud scored in his last four visits there as well. So it doesn't look particularly promising for them, does it? No, no. And this is this is again one of the things about Arsenal. After such a high the other night, to they've got they've got a seemingly easy task on paper. You for their championship credentials anyway. They've got to win this and win this well, you know, um, to to keep their confidence high. And even, again, even with whatever injuries they do have in their team, I can't see past an Arsenal victory. I just think Villa are so poor. Um, but d- despite picking up a point at Southampton, if Peter Cech keeps a clean sheet this weekend, he will move level with 169 clean sheets with a Premier League record. Who holds the record at the minute? I think I only know this because I've heard it so often in the last week or two. Is oh. it David, it's David James, isn't it? It is David James. Yeah. It is David I forgot to say, Arsenal, now, they can be drawn in the next round of the Champions League against uh, both Real Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Wolfsburg and Zenit. You wouldn't fancy them against any of them, really, would you? Maybe, maybe, I don't know, because Zenit did well, didn't they? I think they won every game up until the last one. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. You wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to take any of those on, but if they could get Wolfsburg or Zenit... I think they would fancy themselves. Anybody else from that list? Um, and you'd think that Arsenal has got unlucky again in the draw, as they have been on a few occasions in recent years. Well, it shows the benefit of finishing first, doesn't it? Because you look at Man City, they beat Borussia Mönchengladbach 4-2. They topped their group because Seville beat um, Juventus. Uh, Man City can get Kiev, Benfica, Ghent, PSG, PSV or Roma. Um, mm. City are City, but you would fancy them against most of those teams, wouldn't you? You would, and... and Every time I looked at the at City's Champions League campaign, it always looked like they were in trouble, like they have been in the last few years, and that they weren't going to get through. And then somehow, when they were they were two on down, weren't they for for a spell in that game against Mönchengladbach? They were, they were till the seventy ninth minute, weren't they? Yeah, and they were they were were they they were they out at that point, or were they only finishing second? Well, they were always through, um, but they right. were going to finish second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, this year, as top uh, top of that group. You know, uh, again, uh, they're not, they're not no more than a quarter final team in my opinion, uh, and I don't think they've quite hit their their top form yet this year either. Um, Raheem Sterling scored two on his twenty first birthday. He must have got loads of presents from his kids. <laughs> um, they can. This is the thing that you're saying about City. They conceded two or more at home in the Champions League uh, in nine out of their last eleven games, mm. um, and no clean sheet in fourteen home Champions League games. Well, you've got you've got to think about two things here. It's either the mentality or the skill of the manager, and the mentality, the in-game mentality of the players, because they they seem to try and play Premier League mode, which for them is attack, attack, attack. Yeah. When they come up against teams of equal or better standing than them, so this is where they start to fall apart. Because I don't think they, almost in a, you know, we 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 often talk about teams that don't have a plan B. And we talk about that when things are going badly for them. Manchester City don't have a plan or don't seem to have a plan B because generally speaking, they don't need one. 
yeah. at home. So they this is where I think where a lot of the time they they've let themselves down in com- in conjunction with having difficult draws, of course. But um, I think that's what they need. And I, at the moment, you wouldn't say that they've got players who have a a mentality that that brains themselves in 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 certain instances and certain situations and at certain periods in games. And and that's perhaps what's let them down up to now. Uh, well, next up, they go home to Swansea. Um, managerless Swansea now, isn't it? Mm. Well, yeah, it could be. And I think there's been a lot of talk today about Avram Grant coming Ryan, in and taking over. Ryan Giggs is the latest one. Is it? Mm. So it's a strange... It's, I mean, I think Monk was a surprise, wasn't he, when he got the job in the first place after they got rid of Loudrop. I said this to somebody the other day, and for, for every good decision Swansea seemed to make... They then go and tear it up and start again soon after. You know, Rodgers came in because Rodgers moved on to Liverpool. Then Lowardrop came in, went through a bit of a rocky patch, and they they make a big deal about they're trying to build this continuous um, philosophy of how the club runs and how the football team will play and the type of players they bring in. But with Monk and Lowardrop before him, they've been very quick to 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 ditch them. When you you think of Swansea perhaps as a more patient club hmm. but maybe maybe you know they're afflicted by the same wobbling confidence now they've been on a, a bit of a bad run as every other club has done with this giant television deal looming on the horizon that everybody thinks you know whatever we do we've just got to stay in the Premier League this year but Palace hosted did they boot him off as well or did he leave because um, he's top of Serie A now isn't he yeah and where did he where did he go from there it was either Leicester or QPR I can't remember Okay, it, either of those, I think he left of his own accord, I think. Oh, did he? Oh, right, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems very odd, doesn't it? Because Swansea had their best season ever, didn't they? Uh, last season with, with Monk. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe maybe he just couldn't inspire them this year. I don't know. Maybe he just was too inexperienced. Not enough charisma. Um, I mean, he's brought in a few, or well, there's been a few decent players come in the last season and a half. So you can't really, I don't think you can point to that necessarily, but... I think I've heard a lot of people saying that some of their star performers just haven't been doing it in the last five or six weeks, and it's usually the manager, sometimes unfairly, who gets the blame for that. Well, I've been Sigurdsson off my fantasy team this week, so that's a sign yeah. of anything. James he was Be- kind of who I was hinting at there. Yeah. James Beattie's gone as well. <laughs> right. There you go. He was that's there. a loss. That's <laughs> uh, elsewhere in the Champions League... Um, Atletico beat Benfica 2-1. Uh, they both go through. Atletico at the uh, top of that group on 13 points, Benfica 10. Um, by Leverkusen. They couldn't get past Ter Stegen particularly. They drew 1-1 with Barcelona. Uh, Hernandez and Messi scored. Um, so Barca go through on 14 points. Roma 6. Leverkusen 6. Uh, so just obviously worse goal difference there. And Baty Borisov on 5 points. Um Gary Neville started with a 2-0 defeat to Lyon, who were so far bottom, they couldn't even qualify for the Europa League. <laughs> um, he's been talking shite all these years, hasn't he? <laughs> he's a charlatan, he's been exposed, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, so Zenit topped that with, six, with 15 points. They were going for the 100% record, but like you said earlier on, um, Ghent beat them. Are they the hipster's choice this year? Ghent? Yeah. Oh, I never know who the hipster's choice is. It's I, I don't think they're near the top of the pecking order, but... I'm, I'm not in. I'm not in with that crowd, so I couldn't really say for sure. Oh, fair. You haven't got a sort of hipster beard and arm sleeve tattoo. No, no, I don't wear a beret or anything like that. <laughs> uh, and then Real Madrid beat Malmo eight uh, nil. Ronaldo scored four. What have 
this is a bit of a list here. Uh, what have Shakhtar, uh, Malmo, Wolfsburg, PSV, Manchester United, CSKA, Benfica, Galatasaray, Astana, Juventus, Seville, um, Bayern Munich, uh, Bati Borisov, Olympiakos, Dinamo Zagreb, Dinamo Kiev, Porto, Maccabi Tel Aviv, uh, Ghent, Valencia and Lyon all got in common? They've all conceded a goal scored by Ronaldo in the Champions League. They've all scored less than Ronaldo in the Champions League this season. <laughs> wow, OK. He's scored 11. I mean, admittedly, four against Malmo the other night, but um, he still scored 11. It's astounding. I think um, I saw just a tweet about Ronaldo's time at Real Madrid in the Champions League, and he's played something like 69 games, but scored 73 or 74 goals in that tie. I mean, that is that's some going at any level, but in um, Champions League, that's just unheard of. Well, he's on 88 Champions League goals. Messi's on 80. Of course, Messi's done them on quite a few games fewer um, Tim Vickery on the football world football phoning podcast the other day we were talking about the Ballon d'Or um, you've got Messi Neymar and Ronaldo um, and Tim Vickery was saying that he thinks Suarez has been hard done by yeah um, I, I, whenever I've seen Barcelona this year Suarez has always been well he's been Suarez simply I mean you, you know what to expect from him Um Maybe he's just not as well. He certainly isn't as glamorous as the other three, is he? No, just look not, at he's it. not the he's not the marketing um, the marketer's dream in the same way that Messi, Ronaldo, and Neymar is now coming close to being at their level. I would say in in marketing terms, not not necessarily in footballing terms. Although, of course, he is an excellent player. Yeah, I mean, the Neymar to Manchester United rumours won't go away either. Of course, we now got Manchester City in for Messi on eight hundred thousand pounds a week. Yeah, well... If you practised harder at PE at school... Um, I don't think it was necessarily a case of pra- lack of practice. It was... Um, the practice that I was doing was not particularly of the, the grade required. It wasn't the practice, it was just the shyness. It was the beer and the kebabs. Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, back in the Premier League, the kick-off on Saturday is the Mike Walker derby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Norwich Everton. Um, must be some others. Um, Mike Milligan, Dave Watson, Dave Watson. That's who I was thinking of. John Ruddy. Yes. Um, I'll keep thinking. There'll be more. Is Mike Walker still with us? Yes, he's just turned seventy not long ago. I did see that. Read that somewhere. Ah, oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. Um, you you very down on Everton, but. Mm. If you read your Twitter feed, uh, you've, but Everton have lost two out of sixteen in all competitions, and Lukaku has scored eleven for the season. Um, I wouldn't say I've slagged them off particularly recently. Um, they've, they've played some good football. I'm not going to get carried away. Um, you know my you know my thoughts on Martinez. I started the season and thought, you know, I'm I'm going to forget last year and how bad they were. Um, and and Lukaku, of course, I've always been very negative about him but he's, he's playing like a, a top top striker as the pundits would say it's very worrying to read your tweets during an Everton match because you're very bipolar <laughs> yeah well that's what Everton's all about you know but um, they're, they're playing really well at the minute but I think what and certainly the last two games highlight it I didn't see the Palace game on Monday night but I've been told that Everton should have won I saw the Bournemouth game before that that they should have had wrapped up and sealed before Bournemouth anyway were allowed to get back into the game is that I think the mentality of the players and the manager in particular, they're not um, ruthless, they're not winners. And 
if you followed uh, the likes of Ferguson and Manchester United for years, or Chelsea or, or most of Mourinho's teams, they'd always had that streak about them that when they're on top, they don't take their foot off your throat. Everton don't have that, however good the players may be at any given time. That does not to say that they're never going to have it and they can never turn themselves into a, tr- uh, uh, a trophy challenge inside. But a, a, a real good team would have won both of Everton's last previous games. But it's a huge improvement on last season. And even if we finish eighth, if we keep playing like this all the way through the season, it is such a tight league that you're always going to be in contention for something, uh, whether it's top four, top six or whatever. It's it's a million times better than last year, and I, I can accept that. He reminds me of Patrick Clivert quite a lot, the Kaki does. Um, I think Clivert was, I think Clivert was a, a, like a, a better technique player than than Lukaku is. But I mean, Lukaku's technique for a long time was abysmal, and it's just it's just clicked in now. It's whether he can carry that on for a full season. That's the then we'll see. Then we can really start praising him for being, a, you know, a potentially the best like number nine uh, in the league or even in the the world perhaps of that type <coughs> um, having said that you've only won one out of seven at Carrow Road in the league yeah yeah, we've always found it a bit of a um, hard place to go to and I don't uh, now Norwich have slipped you know pretty close to the danger zone I don't imagine they're going to make it any easier on on Saturday lunchtime um, but I'd be, I'd be I'd be really shocked if Norwich outscored Everton so I, I don't want to say that I think they'll win because I always hate doing that with Everton but um, I'd be shocked if Everton didn't win it's a long way to go isn't it um, it's they they can do what Arsenal did and just fly there oh, yeah well it's a long way to go sideways isn't it <laughs> yeah uh, Palace versus Southampton up next as well uh, Ronald Koeman thinks his team are harsh, being harshly judged compared to last season they're 12th at the minute last season they were bobbling around the Champions League places weren't they sorry say again um, Ronald Koeman thinks his team are being harshly judged compared to last season. They're currently mm. 12th, whereas last season they were bobbing around the Champions League places for quite a lot of the time, weren't they? Yeah, they were very consistent last year. I think they only had one, that I can remember, I think they only had one dip in form that that came around the sort of Christmas time, I think. Um, this season, they didn't start great, and they're not on a particularly good run in the middle, and they've got, uh, they're doing quite well in between those things. Um, so, I mean... I'm sure they'll come good again. They've got some really nice players there. Um, I don't think they'd want to lose somebody like Mane in the transfer window, um, but I think there will be people looking at one of their two, of their, one or two of their players. But they seem to have always have some good youngsters and a decent sc- uh, coaching uh, scouting network. So if they do lose somebody key to them, you imagine they've got a little bit of money and a little bit of nous to be able to replace people. But they're just they're just in um in a bit of a, a bit of a lull at the minute. Drawing to Villa last week wasn't much good, though, was it? No, I think I think um, it was one of those games where I think they should have had the game sealed in the first fifteen twenty minutes, judging by what they were saying on um, Soccer Saturday. So that would have been a nice Philip, uh, you know, to to have Aston Villa show up in the form they're in um, to get an easy win, but it didn't happen for them. Maybe that's indicative of of their their current situation. They've not got the best at home record to Palace because people go on about how great they're doing this season and Southwest mm. Park being a fortress. They haven't done massively well though this season. The Saints have only lost one out of seven away. I think it's got draw written all over it. I think. Do you, I don't know. I, I think Palace. I think Palace will win this. I think. Um, 
maybe Southampton will come out and play because that's just the way they that they are, and and Palace will play more like the away side and and on the break with the pace they've got with the likes of Balassi and Zaha. Maybe that'll be the key feature. So I, I would imagine Palace might just nick this. Yeah. Um, Sunderland Watford. Um, Sunderland have won three out of the last six in the league. The big Sam effect. Exact. It's exactly that. I mean, he's taken a terrible bunch of players and has got some results out of them. Now, what they need to do is not just put two or three results together. They've got to put six or seven results together in 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 the next ten games, and then and then keep chipping away at that just to keep themselves away from that bottom three. And they've got no better manager to do that, even if the play the players that he's got at his disposal are were were definite relegation candidates six eight weeks ago. Yeah. Um. Watford beat Norwich 2-0 uh, last week and they've won four at the last six of the league. Icarlio is um, he scored nine and got two assists. Troy Deeney has now scored in the last four. He's the new Jamie Vardy going for a record. Yeah. I've got I've had a Gallo in my dream team for, from very early on in the season and again I, I, I go back to it. I've seen them on the telly but I did see them in the flesh in the first day of the season and I thought Watford were excellent. Really good. They're, they're, again, they're set up to be a more of a counter-attack team, but I think it would be um, a bit of an insult to say that they're only about pace on the break because again, they've got some very good footballers and some very steady, sound defenders. I think their goalie's a bit of a weak link, but um, do you think Gomez? He's yeah, probably been their, one of the best players this season. <sighs> he had that one bad game at Leicester, didn't he? But other than he's, that, uh, he's always been prone. And I think that as long as you can keep him unexposed as much as possible, then I think they'll they'll do well. And, and where they are now, mid table, the table doesn't lie at this stage of the season. They deserve exactly to be as high as they are. Yeah. Uh, West Ham Stoke. West uh, Stoke last season, uh, last week when they beat City, mm. that was just unbelievable. Some of the football they played. You watched that on match of the day afterwards. I mean, Shakiri mm. did what we all know Shakiri can do, but so unfortunately never shows it. Uh, that turn he made on Fernando and those two through balls he made to Onortovic, they was just they were just absolutely gorgeous all games uh, Stoke were last week. Well, I mean, if if the game had finished four or five nil to Stoke, it wouldn't have been a misrepresentation of how that game was played. No, um, Stoke did to Man City what Man City do to a lot of other teams, and like you say, Shakiri came to the party. He, he did what he he can do, not just for himself but he brings so many players into it with with his clever little runs and his decent passing and and all that sort of thing and yeah Stoke Stoke were Stoke were brilliant last week um, Stoke have not conceded in 407 minutes while Ryan Shawcross has been playing for him so they're they're mm. solid at the back as well yeah he, he's he's one of the the most dependable Centre halves, and he, you know he's been around a long time now. You know people think of him still as quite a young player, but he's been in the Premier League as long as Stoke have, which is seven or eight years, and that's that's as good as anybody really. Why isn't he playing for England? I think we've well, I think there's a few things. I think there's maybe some Stoke snob, uh, snobbery against Stoke players, perhaps. I think people may see or the Hodgson and the media maybe see him more as the. Traditional old English type centre forward, the uh, centre half who, bit of a clogger, bit of a bruiser, doesn't have the finesse of the John Stoneses or the Chris Smallins or Gary Hayhills or whatever. But maybe, maybe we should have a player like Shawcross in. You know, we did 
when in the days when we had Terry Butcher playing in that role, and we had a better or a faster, more mobile defender playing alongside him, and when we had the likes of Des Walker or Mark Wright was a was a half decent player on the ball. Maybe maybe he should be playing in there with somebody like Stones, but I think perhaps the the fact that he doesn't play for Manchester United or Chelsea goes against him. I can understand him not being in maybe the starting eleven, but I just can't mm. see how he's not even in the squad. Ferguson regretted selling him. Yeah, um, and the pe- some of the people ahead of him, you would be. It's a bit of an odd thing for right now for Phil Jones, for example, to be ahead of him in the pecking order. Yeah, for England, um, Gary Cahill plays for Chelsea but has not had a good season by any means, and is ahead of him. So, yeah, you've you've got a point, but I think it, it's not a it's not a new phenomenon, is it? To to, to see somebody playing well in a mid table team, mid table club, let's say in Stokes' case. And they, you know, they've um, not been able to get in there ahead of somebody, you know, somebody who warms the bench at Arsenal, for example. Uh, West Ham have won in six, and they've got Winston Reid, Dimitri Payet, Moses, Sacco, Lanzini, uh, Enna Valencia, all injured. Um, how do you reckon this one's going to go? Um, Stoke. Stoke, OK. Yeah. Uh, Spurs, Newcastle. Um, Spurs drew 1-1 with West Brom last time out. Uh, Newcastle beat Liverpool 2-0. Mm. Yeah, about time Newcastle showed a bit of fight and a bit of urgency. I don't think Liverpool play anywhere close to what they had done in the previous few games, but that that's not to take anything away from Newcastle. They they had a bit of battle about them for the first time in a while. Um maybe had a bit of luck along the way. But um that'll give them a bit of confidence. But I think I think I think I fancy Spurs in this. I don't think they're as brittle as they have been in previous years. You know, they they may have been beat in that West Brom game in other years but I think they're a lot more solid a lot more up for the fight and you see that in some a lot of the players like Lamella seems to have got a bit of urgency in his game and Dembele who's got all the uh, all the skill in the world now seems to be somebody who wants to get stuck in and drive the team forward they've scored 59% of their shots on target that's the most in the Premier League mm. yeah yeah no then then looking pretty good and consistent as well yeah. Uh, Final game of the weekend, we have got uh, Liverpool fresh from their mighty 0-0 uh, draw with Sion tonight um, against West Brom, who drew with the aforementioned Spurs. Uh, Liverpool have won the, nine, the 25 previous games against West Brom at Anfield. They've won 19 uh, and lost just two. Mm. Although in the previous 24 Premier League matches, um, West Brom have got 30 points and Liverpool have got 31. So they're pretty much neck and neck, aren't they? Yeah, and in a game like this in a, with the Tony Pulis side, the first goal is all important, isn't it? If Liverpool get it, then you'd think that that was game over if Liverpool get the first goal. If West Brom get the first goal, um, it's going to be the, the 10 men behind the ball, uh, backs to the wall scenario, and then we'll see what Klopp's formation and uh, the players can do with, with facing a team like that. Yeah, Um Liverpool have had the fewest shots on target against them this season. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, uh, but what? And Henderson's back as well. You'd you'd imagine that that those statistics have been significantly improved since Herr Klopp arrived than before it, with the way that his team is famous for this gagan pressing. Mm. Everybody's uh, that's a hipster phrase, isn't it? Yeah, you, you can see them all having a having a sly wank thinking about. <laughs> Um, 
Um, it's it's nothing new. It's just pressing the ball high up and hard. You know, Dickens has been doing it for decades. Um, my line manager at work, every time he says Klopp, he does a little sort of silly salute. This is some kind of a lower low reference, apparently. Was he uh, really? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know of a character. I can't remember a character on there. Oh, of course, there was Hair Flick. It was Hair Flick. Yeah, the Gestapo. Klopp. I don't know. We'll have to revisit that one. If, yes. you, if you're ever off, if you're ever off on the weekday, then you know UK Gold or the BBC's ret, um, retro nostalgic afternoon TV programming is often includes Aloalo and classics like uh, How You Been Served and all that. Keeps you going till Babe Station's on. Oh no, only as far as Catch in the Attic or Flog It. Oh really? Okay, fine. Yeah. Um, right, now you were hobnobbing with the stars this week, weren't you? I was in the same room. I wouldn't quite go as far as I was hobnobbing. What you were staring on enviously, or what were you doing? Or were you just helping yourself to free food and drink? Free food, free drink. Yeah, the you're obviously referring to the Football Supporters Federation Awards. I am. Yeah. No. Um. There was quite a few. I suppose a few celebrities there. Robbie Savage was there presenting an award. Um. It was uh, hosted by James Richardson of Gazetta Football Italia and. Some More recently, BT Sports fame. Yeah. Um, and a few, you know, well-known sports journalists. I think Graham Hunter was there. Patrick Barkley was there. Tony Evans from, well, he wasn't at the Times. He was there. Um, and a few significant others dotted around. And what were you there for? Uh, the Football Pink was nominated for Fanzine of the Year. And did you win? Uh, no, oh. we didn't win. The City Gent from Bradford City, they won. Oh, well, fair enough. Deservedly so. What was the food like? Um, you know what? I think I'd had enough drink by that point to not really care or pay much attention. I think it was a quiche, some sort of quiche starter, bit of meat and veg for the main, and um, something like a creme brulee for afters. It was at the uh, very swanky hotel in London. Was it? It was indeed, yeah. Did you wear a denim jacket? I had a suit on. I didn't have the old um, tux or anything like that. Some people did, but I just wore... Uh, a lounge suit, as they would say, according to the invitation. Lounge suit? Well, it's basically a business suit and tie. That's really what that means. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Did you have white socks on? I've evolved from white socks. Yeah. I don't do that, I don't do that no more. You didn't have, like, Homer Simpson socks or anything like that on or anything? No, no, uh, no I didn't do what, I didn't do the classic American combo of white, white, uh, white socks and a suit. And how did you feel when you woke up Tuesday morning? You didn't sort of wake up thinking, "What did I say to him?" or all that. No, I was I was pretty good. And there was like an after after awards drinks. Let's say that went on to about two in the morning at a pub close by. Um, and no, I didn't make a total tit of myself. I did wake up the next morning rough as a badger's ass, and uh, my train journey home was um, was um, punctuated by uh, the old beer sweats and uh, the heart racing and everything else. So that wasn't quite so pleasant, but the evening was uh, was uh, enjoyed by everybody. That's all right. You didn't call out Savage or anything then. No, no. He they they strategically placed him on the table at the other side of the the room from where I was. Oh, they they thought something might happen, did they? Maybe maybe they did. Myself and the the lads from the Anfield Rap podcast, who was they we were furthest away from the stage, if you like, and there were there was quite a lot of them, and they were they were drinking a lot, and they were they were very um. Verbal, let's say. Raucous. Good lads, I had a good chat with them, but they were quite raucous, yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of the SF, uh, you want to talk about the 20 Years Plenty campaign? 
What's this then? Well, it's been going a while now, hasn't it? It's, I think the the Football Supporters Federation are one of the key, um, perhaps the key instigators of the the scheme, along with lots of different supporters groups up and down the country. They've been lob- lobbying the Premier League and the government and and who knows who else for a long time now to try and um, bring in some sort of legislation that the maximum ticket price for an away fan should be twenty pounds. And that, um, you know, because obviously football clubs, are, as as it is, are earning a lot of money from from sponsorships and TV deals and merchandising and one thing and another, uh, and they just want to see these clubs give something back to, particularly to away fans. And you know, we've seen a lot of newspaper headlines, haven't we, in the last few years about whether it's been Arsenal or Liverpool or Manchester City, they've been charging away fans sixty-five quid or whatever for for away tickets when they've also got to travel and and get something to eat and all the rest of it um for away games and and people just want football to to kind of step off the 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 sheer capitalist dr- driven profits profit making profiteering ways that we that seem to be out of control and and just you know barreling down the tracks toward just this whole mentality of money 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 to give something back to the fans and then follow the example of some of the countries like Germany who who do run a lot more um, schemes to to help their supporters, particularly financially. And I, just thought, and I, I had um, the Kevin Miles, who was the, I think he's the chair of the Football Sports Federation, gave an interesting fact out in his opening speech. He said that when with the advent of this new television deal that starts this summer, he said that every Premier League club can take forty pounds off the price of the of every single ticket they sell for a game, and still make more money than they currently make now. But if you are Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, or mm. a lot of Premier League clubs, I'm, this is my devil's advocate hat. On. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not particularly agreeing or disagreeing with this. But yeah. if you're if you're a large Premier League club with a worldwide fan base, um, you can charge what you want because. If you've got a fan in Manchester saying, well, I'm not going to pay you all this money to go watch Manchester United, a fan in Norway or a fan in China or, you know, a a fan from somewhere else will happily pay that money to come and watch. Yeah, and I understand exactly what you're saying. It's a a free market just as much as oil or supermarkets or or anything else. You know, people will only pay, uh, people will charge what somebody is willing to pay. And if somebody's willing to pay £60 to go to an away game, um, for a ticket for an away game, then if, as long as people keep paying it, they're going to keep charging that, and that's that's the free market economy, that's capitalism, that's how it works. Completely understand that it's business, but of course, from the football supporters federation, that they they want conditions at football, um, which include ticket pricing, everything else, to be a whole lot better and a whole lot more friendly to families and and to people. And you know, we've had you know the worst recession in history right now, and. It's surprising a lot of people, a lot of supporters away from a game that belongs to us. And you're not talking about reducing the ticket pricing for everybody and it only applying to certain clubs at certain times. Arsenal would reduce their, let's say they give 3,000 tickets to Liverpool fans for an away game. All they were doing is reducing the ticket price to £20 for Liverpool fans. Then in return, when Arsenal's three or 4,000 away supporters go to Anfield for the opposite game, Arsenal fans only pay £20. So it's not just something that's going to apply to 
one or two teams. It's going to be a, a gesture and a legislation that applies to everybody. Because this is something that's always brought up. The tribal nature of football is um, you've got Manchester City fans going down to Arsenal and putting up banners saying £62 is too much for a ticket. And yeah. everyone says, yeah, but what about you lot? There's yeah. no solidarity in this. So, I mean, maybe the aim of the 20s plenty to is to sort of unite fans in this sort of thing rather than mm-hmm. use it as a means of beating another fans down with a stick or something. Yeah, and actually, the um, the the campaign has got the backing not just of the the FSF, but you know you've got people, fan groups like the Blue Union from Everton, you've got the Spirit of Shankly, they're one of the big movers and shakers and all this, and then you could name supporters groups from lots, if not all, of the Premier League clubs who have joined up and signed up to this and have lobbied together or um, demonstrated together outside Premier League headquarters or or at Westminster to to all push for the same thing. I think at the moment the issue is that there's not enough people got behind this because I think we've we've got very lazy in in terms of that we are or people in general we are willing to pay this and until that you see protests getting more um obvious more conspicuous like when the Bayern Munich fans didn't come into the Arsenal ground earlier in the season as a, as a protest to their uh, ticket prices for the Champions League game. They they didn't show up till what five or ten minutes into the game or something until they came in. Hmm. Until you get a lot more of that and a lot more people behind the the um, the initiative, the, the the push for this, then I don't think it will happen. Which is a shame because I think now we are at a point. Foot, football's developed to a point that we aren't watching a shitty product on the pitch. We're not standing in decrepit conditions on the main. At least certainly in the Premier League and the higher divisions, um, we're not being served. Uh, crap food or well we don't think so any or watered down beer and, and so on and so on anymore you know we're, we're not trying to improve facilities and make and, and make this modern day 21st century product anymore the clubs and the game has become so wealthy that it should be able to give back to the fans who remember have paid this money to make this product in the first place whether it by television subscriptions or going to games that perhaps it is time that Football had more of a moral conscience or a or a responsibility to do something for its fans, other than just saying, "Okay, here's the you got to pay this money to get through the door, um, and we'll play a game for you." You know that what I think about football is the the word support is in we are football supporters, and without our support, football as it is, as we see now at the high at any level, but particularly at the Premier League level, without our support, particularly financial. The game as it is cannot be sustained. The players' wages can't be sustained. The stadiums can't be sustained, and so on and so on. And and practically every football club in the world has that word club in it. And again, if you look up the, the definition of the word club somewhere in the dictionary, there's got to be some deg- there would be some degree of um, inference that that's a a club, a, a mutual gathering of like-minded people all going towards one goal um, of cooperation and um, unity and everything else. And, and I think f- football has been, it's a, less about supporters and clubs and, and cooperatives and is singularly only about PLCs and balance sheets and, and so on and so on. I think that's what the 20s plenty, it's it's not a huge gesture. We're not, we're not asking, nobody's asking or they're not asking for the clubs to reduce the, the ticket prices to a £10 for everybody because that's, of course that's never going to happen. It's it's actually not a big gesture whatsoever, but it's something to perhaps bring supporters and their clubs closer together. You know. Okay. 
Um, I never quite understand why, if you watch lower league football, uh, I'll give an example of this. It's Plymouth Argyle, the, the, the closest local, well, the closest league team to me. They charged £22 last season they were, they, for a match I looked up on their website. Mm. £22 to go watch League 2 football. Um, and I thought, well, I'm not paying that. That's an awful lot of money. It's about a 200-mile round trip. Mm. And you watch the game on, or you see the highlights of the game on the telly, and the ground's half full. I often wonder why they don't bring the prices down. Say, charge £15 for a ticket for home fans and fill the ground up, and at least the players are inspired by some kind of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's... that's um, I think that, that there is a... That there's obviously a trade-off. You know, they say, well, if we price it at this, then we're going to get this many people through the door. If we price it at that, it's going to get this many. But you're right, I think a, a lot of a lot of teams, a lot of clubs don't... I don't think they want to be seen to be slashing prices um, because you always try to oversell something. You don't that the if you slash your prices from twenty two pounds to twelve pounds and fill the ground up, and then Plymouth are terrible for six months and the crowd drops off from fifteen thousand to eight thousand, then where do you go from dropping your prices for the whole ground from a tenner? If you 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 can only go down at that point, you can't go up yeah. to increase your crowds and your revenue. So that's why they do it. Okay. And that's on the Football Supporters Federation website, is it? Yeah, the 20's Plenty. I think you can learn a lot about there, but um, just typing in 20's Plenty in, into Google and you'll you'll get a lot more information. It's not a new thing. They've been they've been doing this, I think, for, for two or three years, this um, initiative. So, uh, you know, I wish them well. Yeah. I think you actually have to type 20's Plenty Football because if you just type 20's Plenty, you get some kind of road calming measure. Ah, uh, yes. That's, I've seen that in Glasgow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, well, that's the end of uh, this week. Have you got any any other business this week? Have we got any football pinks to um, publicise? Um, uh, issue ten is the most recent one, which is available still from the from the website. So, if anybody's interested, it's got great illustrations, some great uh, writing in, as always. Award nominated. We didn't win, but that's not to the that's well, not to say that it's not worth buying. So you have won. Well, you won the blogging awards, didn't you? Yes, we won the um, best established blog, the the judges award, which the judging panel was pretty prestigious. So um, yeah, that was a that was a good night too, watching John Barnes perform the whole of um, Rapper's Delight on stage was quite a, quite a thing to see. <laughs> there you go. So you are award winning. Yes. Um, okay, so if you've uh, if you want to contribute to that, then um, drop Mark a line. So if they want to drop you a line, how do they do that? What's your moniker on Twitter? Um, it's uh, at the football pink at the football pink okay so they can always do that no five aside team this week um, we'll be back doing that again shortly I think we've still got Watford outstanding as our next team to do um, if you can think of five Watford Premier League players that deserve a place then you're probably a better man than I um, if you want to follow Man of the Post it's at Man of the Post on Twitter manofthepost.com is the website I think we're always looking out for uh, um, for writers and people as well so if you've got anything you want to contribute to us as well then you can always drop us a line um, chris at manofthepost.com is my email address uh, if you want to leave us a review and you like what you hear um, then you can always do that a five star review on iTunes is gratefully received we may still or may not have some fridge magnets uh, Colin Ross and the gang are back on Sunday night to talk about this weekend's Premier League previews we've just uh, gone through they'll be reviewing those Um, And all that remains to be said is always remember to keep your man of the post.